Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous, ratchet, and real. Real, real. Welcome to the Righteous, Ratchet, and Real podcast. This podcast is for people who love God, but sometimes side-eye the church. We're three friends balancing the secular and sacred, the righteous and ratchet, as we discuss current topics through a gospel lens. We might say some things we're not supposed to. But you are probably thinking it anyway. You know how we say in the church. Charge to our head, head and not our heart. We're going to keep it real. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Righteous Ratchet and Real podcast. We are glad that you are in the place and I am joined by my girls, Dr. Ronnie and Dr. Greta. Guys, go on ahead and say hey real quick to the people. What's up, good people? Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Thanks for being here. And today we're also joined by my bestie, who happens to be, in my opinion, one of the best writers in modern times. I know she'll be looking at me and saying no, but I am dead serious, y'all. She is the queen of storytelling for Black women. As a matter of fact, I think you need to just put that in your bio, that you are the queen, okay? Just claim the title. But seriously... We are joined by Janelle Harris, who owns The Writer Die Chick, a boutique editorial service, and she has written for every major Black publication. If it's Black, she's written for it. She's <laughs> written for Essence. She's written for Ebony. She's written for Jet. She's written for The Griot. And she also gets her stories told in traditionally white spaces as well. She's written for Elle and The Atlantic, as well as contributing to the Smithsonian. As her moniker says, that girl can write. All right. Thank you. Yes. We're just so excited to have you, Janelle. I mean, I know that I've read a whole bunch of stuff uh, that you've written over the years, so it's good to meet you in person, oh. to see your face. So, hey, girl, hey. Hey, girl, <laughs> hey. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for that introduction. Gosh, I blush. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're just so excited. So, okay, let's start off by talking about who you write about, right? You are known for telling the stories of regular folk, just regular everyday people. And we sometimes think of important people's stories mm-hmm. as the ones, you know, that we really want to hear or the ones that need to be told. Mm-hmm. But you are about curating stories of people that folk wouldn't have heard of unless you wrote about them. Mm. So why do you think that these kinds of stories, you know, of everyday people need to be told? Um, I really feel like we need to expand our definition of Black excellence. I know, you know, the phenomenal people, the boundary breakers, the first to do this, the first to do that. And especially coming off of Black History Month and transitioning into Women's History Month, um, that's like a major focus. But the historic movements that we love to focus on and the things that we love to talk about are driven by regular, everyday, ordinary, but extraordinary folks, your grandparents, my grandparents, your mama, my mama. So um, I love to peek behind the curtain and say, who's back there? I love the people behind the machine. And so, uh, and I'm, I've been raised by the people behind the machine. And so um, that's, I just think that everyday folks and the things that they do to shape their communities, to drive change, um, national change, global change, I, I deserves to be told. And you don't have to be a name to do that. In fact, most of us aren't a name. Mm. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the ways in which our 
uh, four parents have raised us and, you know, made ways out of no ways for us. I think those stories are really worth highlighting because how else do we know who we are, right? How do we begin to embrace our identity if we don't have basically the, that foundational understanding of where we've come from? Mm -hmm. So that's amazing um, to tell stories of just, you know, of our, of our folks. So, okay, give us, um, give us a story about a woman in your life since it's Women's History Month, right? Mm -hmm. um, tell us about a woman in your life that impacted and shaped who you are today. Well, obviously I would talk about my mother and my grandmother who worked in tandem. Um, my grandmother passed on some years ago. She was an awesome, awesome woman, taught me about God. Um, taught me about perseverance, taught me to never stop getting tired of doing good. Mm -hmm. But recently, my mom uh, retired, and it just was such a milestone moment. First of all, it's weird to be able to call my mama in the middle of the afternoon. It's like, usually I had to hold my thoughts until 3 p.m. I watch the clock, and I see that she's off work, and then I can call and say, whatever random thing has been laid on my heart since 11 or 12 or whenever I got it, because I couldn't talk to her. Mm -hmm. But now, it's just so strange to be able to call her whenever I want to. Uh, but she worked for more than 40 years in a factory in Pennsylvania, two, two factories, 40 years. And she hated every minute of it. She hated her job. And so um, when she retired, she didn't want to celebrate it. And she's such a she's such a low key lady, which serves me well on Mother's Day and Christmas. Yeah. And that's the kind of holiday she is very low maintenance. And so she didn't even want to celebrate the retirement. But we just wow. had her a little something at Longhorn. It wasn't nothing big, but we was going to celebrate it some kind of way. And that was good enough for her. Mm -hmm. But she taught me about the regular folk. When I said that I come from the regular folks, she, she is the regular folk, the people who are the factory, even even down to what she does as a, as a career, the factory that she makes a part for a bigger part that comes out of a factory that we use. And she at one point she was making batteries, car batteries like nobody thinks about the person who makes the battery. They drive and operate your car. Mm -hmm. So um just down to what she did for in her life and in her career just made me, compelled me to want to know more about everyday people. And when I went to Lincoln, I went to Lincoln University. Hey, Lincoln, first HBCU. Whoop, whoop. But <laughs> she, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And uh, Keisha's been heard this story a thousand times. She's probably so tired of hearing of this thing. But I got pregnant my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. I did all the things to get pregnant, but I was shocked when I got pregnant. I was like, oh, how? I don't know how this even happened. <laughs> so my mama was the last person. His mama found out. My grandmother knew. Mm -hmm. The counselors on campus, the nurses, everybody knew except for my mother. And it was because I just couldn't, I felt the weight of her disappointment before she was even disappointed. Mm -hmm. And it carried, so when she found out, she was definitely disappointed. But she handled herself with such dignity and with such grace and understanding that um, it also shaped in my storytelling that these things have the, the not just the happening, but the how we respond to the happening. Mm -hmm. And what, what the full story is, not just the things that happen to us, but our, our, our embracing of it, our acceptance of it, how we digest it, how, we, um, how, we, how it comes back to us later on how we reflect on it. So, um, yeah, my mom is dope. Thank mm. you. Mm. And she doesn't even know it. Mm. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I know that she knows it because she, you are the reflection of her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, well, thank you. So there, so there that is. Um, it is amazing how our parents, even though, um, their lives, we may look at their lives as just ordinary. God does something and puts some super, uh, some super on their natural so that mm -hmm. their lives can impact us and allow us to do amazing things that maybe they never even dreamed of. But, you know, they certainly paved the way. Um, and so, you know, yeah, t hats off to all of our, our folks, all of our parents who uh, 
loved us and did what they need to do so we can yes. be who we are. So now somebody listening might say to themselves, you know, they may have a story inside of them uh, or, or maybe not. They may think that they don't have a story. But what would you say to someone who is thinking, you know what, I may be, maybe I could write, maybe, but they just feel like, well, maybe I, I just don't have anything to say or hmm. I'm not somebody with a voice. Hmm. What would you say to them? Hmm. First of all, I would say, don't worry about being a voice. Don't worry about having a platform. Don't worry about your social media numbers. Don't worry about what somebody else has written. Don't worry about if somebody else has written on the same topic. Don't worry. Just if you have stories are made, we don't, first of all, we don't have a story. We have many stories. Mm -hmm. We have stories about our relationships. We have stories about experiences when we were in elementary school. We have stories mm -hmm. that shaped us. We have stories we even forgot that we have stories about. Mm -hmm. So inside, you have inside of you what you need to tell the story. And then you, it's up to you to decide if you want to share the story. So that's the real decision you need to make is if you really want, if, if this story um, is ready to come out because not it is not always a time to tell a story. Even I, I've been writing for almost 20 years now and I definitely have stories that I've been sitting on that just are not, I'm not ready to tell or um, just probably don't, may, and may not never even need to be told. And that's cool too. You have to have that discernment for yourself. But in the actual process of telling a story, it's just all about being authentic. You get to discover yourself and, and parts of your story as you're writing. And, and all not all storytelling is, um, is writing, right? Like people do TED Talks, people make speeches, people, this, this is all storytelling. I mean, people do literal storytelling. Like I, I went to um, a storytelling... It's not, it wasn't a competition, but it was like a jamboree. <laughs> like everybody just got up and for like 10 minutes, Keisha, you were there. We went a long time ago for like 10 minutes. Everybody just got up and told like an electrifying story. No notes, no note cards, no phones, no just interaction with an audience. Like that's even a thing, if that's your thing, if you're more comfortable doing that. But the, the point is, is that it's not, it's easy to get caught up in self-comparison and it's easy to get caught up in imposter syndrome. It's easy to get caught up in whether your grammar is good or not good. Yeah. But if there's some, it, and it can be a small story. I want to write a story about how beads made me feel when I, when my mama put them in my hair when I was a little girl, like, mm -hmm. I just want to write about, and that's not, it's not big. <laughs> it's not tremendous. Probably, probably won't get a lot of shares, but it's just, um, we all have stories that will someone will connect to and someone will relate to. And mm -hmm. that's the whole point of storytelling. I think it's gotten muddled with what, how many people are going to read it. Oh, nobody read it. Nobody shared it. Only five people read it. It wasn't even worth writing. Well, was the point to tell the story or for the point for it to circulate throughout God's internet? So for us to really dig inside of ourselves and, and pull out the gems that we have in us, and we all have gems inside of us. I love it. The fact that you say God's internet. I was like, yeah, it's not Beyonce's internet. God's internet. I got that. God has reclaimed it. Reclaimed. <laughs> so you have a very distinct voice as a writer and you know we always talk about that you tell stories in like this real homegirl folksy way that makes it relatable to people and yet still has this beautiful prose to it how would you advise someone to find their authentic voice as a writer or a storyteller to help them feel more comfortable with telling their stories hmm. well first of all thank you so much i appreciate that and um I would just say, well, first of all, I guess it depends on, we're, we're talking about nonfiction, right? We're talking about essays and personal stories. Okay. Um, because that means I, I write like I talk, really. I mean, it's the most, it's the way it comes out. Um, I use y'all. I don't use proper grammar. I hate whom. Who uses whom? Why? What is pretentious? <laughs> I would never use whom, even if it's grammatically correct. I would never use whom when I talk or when I write. So I, I obviously don't use it when I write. So I think that's in being authentic to your voice is really being actually authentic to your voice is how do you journal? 
when you journal, what do you sound like? What does your voice sound like? And that's the way that you should be. That's the voice. That's the, the writing style that you should be true to when you're putting down your thoughts and experiences. And um, like, I'll throw in a random big word. It annoys my husband, but he'll be like, what is quotidian? Just say what you mean. But in real life, I actually do throw in big words. Just, I, I, I like words. I like vocabulary words. I like, you know, so I throw them in when I, when I talk. So I throw them in when I write, but I think we just need to stay consistent. That's not only, and, and if you are interested in building a brand and having a voice, for larger publication opportunities, um, for a, maybe an eventual book, um, for building a platform, for connecting with other people, then, I mean, that's something to pay attention to. But I think the first thing first is just to be authentic to how you really actually sound in real life. That's good. That's good. And because I know sometimes we like to put on airs, we like to be pretentious, but like you said, you know, really when you're writing, especially for other people, you want to, you want to write the way you sound and the way you would talk in normal conversations. So, mm -hmm. I that. Um, so often we hear the phrase that the devil is in the details, mm -hmm. but I want to know, how do you see God at work, especially in the details of your storytelling? Oh, Thank you for asking me that. I pray all the time before I, I write. You know, I just like when I'm responsible for someone else's story, especially my own, too, for sure. But um, it's, it feels like a different type of praying when I when I'm writing my own story. But when I'm, I'm responsible for someone else's story, God, help me to be accurate. God, help me to be true to them. Help me help them to like it. Help them to help it to resonate with someone else. Help it to be. Um, something that changes somebody, that changes somebody's mind if they feel like they already know this person or if they're already dismissing or disregarding this person. Um, just, I, I really feel like, and it's, it's a, sometimes I'm on deadline. It can't be no long prayer. It can't be no meditation time. <laughs> <laughs> My editor is like, that's cute on a spiritual level. I love that for you. But can I get the story though? <laughs> It can't be a, a big elaborate process all the time. And sometimes I do get stuck and I do engage God when I get stuck. Like, oh my gosh, writer's block. Writer's block is like the biggest lie that writers tell themselves. Oh, I'm so creatively drained. I'm like, I cannot, it's just, I can't possibly like <laughs> sit down and write the words is really what needs to happen. But it, it does get hard. And when you feel like you've hit a wall, sometimes you hit a wall energy wise, sometimes you are literally just tired. Then um, I, I go for a walk. I go for prayer walks all the time. Mm -hmm. And I engage God in that way. The movement of my body at the same time coincides with the movement in my spirit. And then when I come back, I can get something done. And it might not even be the best thing that I've written, but I know that God has loosened me up out of, to get out of my own head and to get into the, the thing that I need to get done, done. Um, like I said, especially when I'm responsible for somebody else's storytelling, I just want to make sure that it's as accurate and representative of who they really are as possible. Myself is kind of, is a little bit easier, but when you're telling somebody else's story, right. that's a responsibility. Okay. Well, you, you talked about, I guess your beginnings of becoming a storyteller, you were interested in the stories of everyday people, but who were some of the notable or up and coming even um, black women storytellers who influenced you or that influenced you? Zornell Hurston, absolutely no question about it. I love, love, love Zora. I love her diversity and in in the body of her work. Mm -hmm. She did journalism. She did essays. She did fiction. She did long fiction. Um, she did novels. She did short stories. And so I, I do think that people who are interested in being writers, that's just a sidebar, but I do think that people who are interested in writers should take their talent as far as they can go. And I love that Zora did that thing for us. Like she, she was the, she's the roadmap. Mm. Um, and then I love how authentic she was with the way that she talked, right? Like the way that she represented the people who, um, from whether she was in Haiti or whether she was in the Deep South or whether she was in New York City, she always stayed true to the way she paid attention to the way that people talked, mm. their actual voice. 
and the way that they represented them own selves. And then she repeated it in her work. Awesome. I could go on about her all day. Love her. Love her. I love the way she lived her life, her lifestyle. I love the way that she went off on life. Listen, I'm sorry that her and Langston got into a little falling out, but <laughs> she was spicy. And I love that she was spicy. Langston probably didn't love that she was spicy, but that I love that she was who she was. And also Janine Amber, who I don't think she writes for Essence anymore. She used to write these long form features for Essence, like back in the day in the 90s, I guess, in the 2000s. She was their senior writer for a long time. And her intros, oh my God, like her, you felt like you were there. Like they're so descriptive and so just rich with um, vision, visuals, but written. And, and it didn't even need the photography. Like the photography was great too, but just like in a magazine spread, it wasn't a lot. It, there weren't a lot of black writers, a lot of black women writers who were writing like as just as proficiently and as profound as she was and, it, and still is. I'm sure she still is. You, you've kind of answered my, my next question. So I'm going to go off a little script. Mm -hmm. So what would you recommend in terms of people who wanted to start writing uh, of course, reading other writers, I would assume, but mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about the path that you took in terms of um, getting published and, and I don't know, just kind of your, your, your journey, if you mm -hmm. will, writing. Uh, so when I had the baby, when I had, her name is Skylar. And so uh, when I had Skylar, I was pretty sure I wanted to be a writer. Um, I had never known, like I, no one had ever presented to me that writing could be your career. Mm. I knew I was a good writer all through high school. My teachers mm -hmm. told me that I was a great writer, but no one said you should be a writer. Mm -hmm. I had one teacher say you should be an English teacher, mm -hmm. which was kind of like, nah, that doesn't really feel like that's going to be my jam. So mm -hmm. when I got to Lincoln, uh, I was an English major because duh. <laughs> and uh, I kind of played around with things that I wanted to do, but, but and I, I guess by junior year, mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to be a journalist or some sort of writer, mm -hmm. but um, I had Skylar. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't go to New York and do like all cool intern. My, my dream was to go to Essence and be an intern at Essence okay. and, or Vibe at the time, because Vibe had like those mm -hmm. tabloid sized magazines. Oh my gosh. And, and Danielle Smith, yeah. who was another <laughs> writer that I love, love, love. She was like my hero and she was the editor in chief at the time. And to mm -hmm. sit under Danielle Smith every day in New York City, come on now. Mm -hmm. But I had a baby, so I had to change plans. And so in uh, the very beginning, when the world did not have Wi-Fi, I would get on dial-up, tie up my mama's phone line, because I'm mm -hmm. old, and <laughs> try to teach myself how to write articles, how to pitch okay. stories, how to connect with editors. Mm -hmm. And Skylar would be running around, wanting mm -hmm. to play her little games on the computers. We only had one PC in the house. And um, yeah, it just grew from there. I, I got my first first real, real writing gig at All Hip Hop. I see they're about to do a documentary on All Hip Hop. All, all Hip Hop did oh, me wow. well. They let me, he was like, you should probably be um, a long form writer because I was sending them long form. Like he would ask me <laughs> to do a new story on DMX, like 400 words, honey, I was sending him 1500. And he, he was like, okay, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I have to cut this down. I'm, I'm gonna have to cut this down. So um, started off at All Hip Hop and Sister to Sister back when that was a publication. It was mostly entertainment and lifestyle. Um, and then Heart and Soul, which was another black publication um, about black women's health. Mm -hmm. And thankful to Kendra Lee for giving me a shot. Like I, I used to send her pictures and she'd be like, mm, I don't know what this is that you're sending me. <laughs> this is not a pitch. Let's work, let's work on this idea and really working with me um, to, oh, to wow. learn how to do that. And then it just took off from there. I mean, it just awesome. has been um, a process, a learning in the doing. That's, mm -hmm. that's definitely just how it's been. Awesome. Can I just jump in and ask along those lines? So what is your writing process? 
So on a, on any given day, when you have a particular assignment due, you know, what do you, what does it look like? What does your day look like? Um, my day can look like my days are wild. Like my days are not consistent. I don't do the same thing every day. Uh, and I have to get better at marketing myself, but so, uh, I usually start the day pitching, which is the marketing myself, the, the selling myself, because I do usually have a story idea. So it's just figuring out which publication, which editor the idea is going to be a best fit for. Like right now I'm pitching a story, another story to the Atlantic. I haven't written for the Atlantic in a really long time. So reintroducing myself to a new editor um, and <laughs> showing her like, I've been here before. Look, I was here. It was about five, six years ago, but I was here. Mm -hmm. So um, then it, it could be working on a story. Right now I'm working on a project that is due at the end of the month. So that's pretty much going to be my, my, my biggest project. My, it's, it is my, my highest paying project ever. I, I should say that. And I have to thank the young black man who brought me onto the team years ago. He was like, you're not charging enough and you need to be charging more as a right, you know, for your, oh, wow. your services. And he said, these white writers come to come in here and ask for all, all kinds of stuff with commas in it. And the work isn't half as quality as yours. Mm. So black women, okay. <laughs> lesson for me. Mm. To not lowball myself and to start high. And then if you need to negotiate mm. down, negotiate down. But I was just probably been lowballing myself for, it have been definitely lowballing myself for a very long time. So, and that's, that's the diversity of writing as well. Right. So like storytelling for magazines is cool, but story now there's more emphasis on corporate storytelling as well. And so getting an opportunity to do that with my day, uh, in addition to doing editorial work for magazines and digital publications. I'm sorry. So you set your own pay scale or most of the time. Yeah. So when, uh, for a publication, um, uh, like essence, they already mm -hmm. have like a set rate that they pay their writers. You're always, always able to negotiate that. You're always able to negotiate the perks that come along with it, okay? Mm -hmm. I will write this for this amount, but I need to also do two, um, two additional articles for oh, it. I mean, who wants doesn't want more work? Right. So that's something that you could do, especially if you're an expert in the subject matter that you're working on. Okay, interesting, cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So not only are we learning about storytelling our personal stories, we're learning how to get a check off of those <laughs> and to make sure. Please do. Please do. Gotta get the bag. Nothing wrong with writing for free, but because um, I've written for free plenty of times. I mean, because I had to to get started and also mm -hmm. because sometimes you just want to write something. And I don't always want to pitch an editor and I always don't want to make a case for why the story is important. Mm -hmm. But um, so, yeah, you may have to write for free, but there are enough. When I was starting out, like I said, the very, the, the pioneer internet, my, the, the Conestoga wagon of internet. <laughs> <laughs> so now you don't have to do that. Now there's so many publications and they'll at least throw you $50 for your essay about your dad or your mom or your family cookout or whatever it is that you want to write about. So we know our stories are important, right? We're just coming out of Black History Month. We're in Women's History Month. And we know that Black folk and Black women have so many stories to tell. But as we see, there's been this systematic movement to suppress our stories and mm -hmm. to make them um, more palatable for, you know, the majority of folk of, you know, the United States, even though they, they, they coming down. But, mm -hmm. you know, and so they have this revisionist telling that they do in history books and that they're doing online things that make their ancestors look like they weren't so bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we know that this idea of, Revite, revisionist history and telling, you know, truths that favor someone else mm -hmm. is not just something that happens in terms of the government or in terms of news media, but it also happens even in our families, right? So mm -hmm. they want us to tell the story that makes them look more favorable, that, you know, makes them feel comfortable with the past, even though it's our story and they try to suppress that. Um, can you tell us about why you're willing to tell stories that others avoid? Hmm. Because somebody has to tell them. 
because they deserve to be told. And you're always free to leave one publication and leave one editor. I've worked with several editors who wanted me to, <laughs> I wrote a, uh, a story years ago for the Washington Post and I made some kind of churchism. I can't even remember what I said. I, I think I said shouting or falling out or something related to the black church. And she was like, oh, Harry, you know, I'm Jewish, so I might not really get it. And I'm like, well, then you ain't going to get it. So it might not be for you, but you know, you can Google it. And so it's not, I think there's a lot of people waiting to, um, wanting us to change our stories, change the way we tell our stories and change the actual content of our stories. But you're always free to change your platform if you're telling it on a, on somebody else's platform. Um, but if you're telling it, if you're telling it on Substack or Medium or uh, blog or any kind of platform that you've created for yourself, I think it's always important to revisit the facts. Like, if you kept journals when you were younger, if you have old emails, if you have anything that that pertains to the thing that you want to talk about, um, go through those because they'll they'll help you remember the facts as they are that you won't be the revisionist because sometimes we're the revisionist too. And mm -hmm. so it will help us uh, help you get back to what actually happened. But yeah, you're always you're always free to take your story somewhere else if, if someone is pushing you to to write it or retell it in a way that you know is not true to what happened or um you know is it is it true to the quality of the story too hmm. so you've written about my god baby scholar the, mm -hmm. the little baby who's grown many times <laughs> <laughs> and you've written um very specifically about an experience with her dad mm. and that okay. was a hard story to tell because mm -hmm. it meant his family would have to look at it. You would have to expose yourself and your experiences. And so can you just tell us, you know, and it's not the only difficult story you've told, mm -hmm. but how have you navigated that space of deciding what to tell mm -hmm. and what to hold back? Mm -hmm. So that's where the prayer comes in. I think part of that is where, uh, I trust God to to hold me accountable to the accuracy of the story, like I was just saying, but also to know, to look at it from as wide of a perspective and as fair of a perspective. Mm -hmm. this, ain't, this ain't your journal. Like, I'm not, I hate this guy. Like, that's not this. This is right. trying to really take a step back and offer a perspective of a story that happened to you. So... I think it's just, it's not always about sparing feelings. It's not about that. It's just about being fair. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's where when you get the idea that you want to write about something or someone that that's, that's the best way to honor the story itself. Not about the person, not necessarily about you. It's, it's about what truly honestly happened. And, and, you know, accepting your own part in situations. Look, he's not, he's, 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 but <laughs> he's not bad. I saw him at homecoming. We gave each other a hug. Look at us advancing. But <laughs> it's, um, I, you know, I, I made decisions and I did things that I probably had I written the story when I was 25. It would, I would have definitely, what I just said, psh, this mm -hmm. and he and uh, and I can't stand and oh my God. Mm -hmm. But now having some perspective on it. And sometimes that's why I said it's good to sit on a story and really think about the, the ramifications of writing it when you want to write it. Or, um, and then it's always cool to revisit too. Like you can revisit a story. Like I wrote this 10 years ago. Here's where I, what I think about it now. It doesn't have to be a one-time hit and quit. Um, it's all, you're always free to go back and tell your story in a different way and, and what you've learned about it, even if nothing else has changed about it at all, only you've changed, but the story itself has not changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other thing right there, right? That our stories <laughs> get to advance. It can be the same story and nothing has changed, but we get to advance in it. Um, mm -hmm. 
one of the things you said reminded me of something that my um, preaching professor would always tell us because preaching is its own form of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yes, it and is. And so, you know, um, I know my pastor in teaching me to preach has always said when I wanted to advance in my preaching, he was like, put yourself in the story because people want to hear you as well. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, but my preaching professor said, don't bleed on the people. Mm-hmm. And so if you're still raw in your emotions around the situation is not the time to tell the story about your situation because you're going to, rather than helping people with your storytelling, you're really bleeding all over the people with your storytelling. And so that, you know, obviously preaching is a very different format for it because, you know, writing gets to be, depending on where you're writing for, you get to be in the space where you can be authentic about that story. Mm-hmm. You can, but it's it's about, it's it can be about you, but it's not about you. Like, mm-hmm. People want to know the the connectional thing, the relational thing. It's it's about you and your story, but you're using that as a broader to bring people in to talk about them. Like, mm-hmm. how does this relate to you? What is this? Why, why does this re- resonate with them? And to get them to think about their own feelings about your okay, it's your experience, but maybe something similar happened. It's your experience, maybe something absolutely like that never happened to them, but why do? They, they feel magnetized to it for some reason. So it's about drawing people in to the commonality, some sort of commonality or some sort of emotion that you can draw them into just by reading your story. Mm-mm. Have you ever given into that pressure to not tell the whole story or to not tell a story because of someone else? Um. Yeah, I have. I've decided to to pause a couple of times. Um, and then sometimes when I sit down to write it, I get, and this must be God too, because sometimes I sit down to write it and I'm like, oh, it just won't come. It's, if, if, if it don't flow out, I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not a thing. So yeah, yeah, I have. And it's good, it's good to walk away. And, it, and like I said, to sit on it, even if it's years and years, it ain't going nowhere. It's still your story, it still happened. It's still your mm-hmm. experience. You don't have to monetize it or capitalize on it right away, especially if it's a highly sensitive, um, you know, situation. Like even people going through the pandemic, I feel like should chill a little bit and mm-hmm. not necessarily write, you know, their pandemic memoir right right <laughs> off the break because we're all still processing. Right. Like, that was wow. That was a lot. And so, um, you know, what are things going to look like five? What are you going to look at like mm-hmm. five years from now? What's what's that? How are you going to feel? And so keeping track of that for yourself in case you do want to tell the story so you can go back and reference your notes and your comments and your feelings. But um, but yeah, not not always, especially if it involves somebody else's story, too, if it's connected to you. Mm-hmm. So I have a completely different um question that I want to ask you that just kind of popped in and I think it is true to our podcast because mm-hmm. we're over here like to keep it righteous we like to keep it ratchet and we like to keep it real what has been a story that you would attest that you've written that you know was completely just like a righteous moment like it was the right mm-hmm. telling what was the most ratchet story you've written and mm-hmm. what has been the most real story um I wrote a story about being on food stamps mm. and that was a, that was something nobody knew. Nobody knew I was on food stamps. Keisha knew, my mom knew, and like two other people knew. Mm-hmm. And so writing, now mind you, I waited until after I was off food stamps to write the food stamp story. And I didn't write it while I was still on them. I was like, okay, well that, that chapter is over now. I can tell the story. But uh, and that was part that was definitely shame. So that was partly how I knew it was God trying mm-hmm. to let it let's let that go help. And it, and I it was I hadn't had many stories go viral. I've gotten mm-hmm. a lot of stories that got a lot of positive feedback or got a lot of views. But this story like caught fire mm-hmm. and organizations were reaching out to me. And, and someone just reached out to me last week uh, to ask me to speak at a, a Food for America event because I wrote this story about being on food stamps and the stigma around it. So mm-hmm. that was God saying, 
all right, let's use this to process through this thing and help somebody else who may be going through the experience. So that was God. Uh, Ratchet, child, Lord, Lord, Lord. Um, hmm. A lot there, ain't it? <laughs> it is a lot there. It is a lot there. I used to have a blog on Essence and I used to tell all my business. Good Lord. I guess it would just be, I, I used to write a lot about being single. I can't think of one specific one, but I used to write about all of the, the woes and the pains of being single. And that included uh, all heartbreaks that included, you know, I never really was like a, his, his sex was trash kind of girl, but I definitely was like, yeah, read between the lines that this was not worth, you know, like this, you know, I mean, okay. Like there's not many benefits to this relationship and that was not one of them, that that type of situation. So if that counts as ratchet, that's my ratchet. And real, um, I think everything I write is real. I spend a lot of time, a lot of time, on everything that I write. There was a time when I was just trying to pay the bills and I was just trying to pump them out, get stories out. But but I stopped doing that because I was not doing the best work I could when I was dealing with other people's stories. One time I wrote this story about this girl who um, got arrested for um, drunk driving, but she wasn't driving, she was in the passenger seat. She had given her keys to her boyfriend he was driving, but he was only slightly less drunk than she was. And he ended up hitting somebody, but they both got charged. Even though he was driving, hmm. they ended up both getting charged. And so I wrote this blog post and I was just talking about how ridiculous it was that she got charged and everything. But I had not done my due diligence to hmm. find out that she this was not her first time doing such, okay. that they both had had previous charges. And I didn't stop to think about how this would affect the family. And one of them reached out hmm. to me. The, the victim's family, mm -hmm. whoever the person that they hit, a member of their family reached out to me and basically read me. And, it, and, if, and initially I was like, I was defensive, mm -hmm. but they were right. I, I had no idea. And I definitely, my perspective was off, my, was way mm -hmm. off. And I will never do that again. I, I have definitely committed myself to slowing down. Mm -hmm. Taking the time to learn as much of the facts and the backstory that I possibly mm -hmm. can, not to do hot takes and just get us and just put a mm -hmm. story or an opinion out there just because I can or just because I do have an opinion. And I, I find now that I don't have an opinion as much as I used to before it would be okay. opinions flying everywhere. I mean, I am a black woman, but, you know, <laughs> it was not it was not hard for me to come up with an opinion on the spot and, and then sit down at my laptop and start to write about it. But now I definitely give it more care and consideration, even if I think I know what I'm talking about. That doesn't mean I need to say anything. It doesn't mean I need to sit around, sit and write a blog post about it or pitch an article about it or write an essay about it. That's 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 me letting it go. So can I jump in and ask, with that being said, how do you feel about the whole fake news that we get and mm -hmm. the, the, the journalism that we're now, the season of journalism that we're now in where people are just writing what they, it seems like people are writing what they want to write just to get, you know, popularity or likes or shares or whatever. How do, yeah. It's, I think it's it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. It's scary because the quality of work doesn't seem to be there. And it's a lot of secondary reporting. So if, the, if we have five AP, Reuters, uh, AP is Associated Press, Reuters, and a couple of other organizations doing original reporting, going out, actually finding, you know, interviewing people, finding the facts of the story and everybody else is just eating off of these five mm. or news organizations. That's scary. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, that's secondary reporting. That's not even people coming way down five, six, seven um, publications later mm -hmm. and publishing off of something that they read on Yahoo. <laughs> saying mm -hmm. it's, it's <laughs> when I'm reporting like, Oh my Lord. So yeah, it, it's definitely, I mean, we we know who we blame for fake news because good Jesus. Yeah. But I mean, it, it happens all the time in 
and it's getting recirculated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then can I just say the grammatical integrity? Oh my lord! I know I said you don't have yeah. to be a grammarian, and you don't. But I mean, some punctuation is cool. I love a comma. I love periods. Like they let me know when the sentence ends. And you know, just like the the structural integrity of the craft that that's what makes me know you're legit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you I'm have real editors, <laughs> I'm over here just cracking up. Like, oh my goodness, <laughs> the fake news and what that even means you know like it, it's a bad game of telephone that we are living in it really is that's so, exactly what to describe it, it. yeah yeah <laughs> um as you were talking janelle i really um wanted when i thought about the real story and just an inspiration even for those who are thinking about storytelling maybe they didn't really realize they had a story to tell mm-hmm. one of my um thoughts was another story that went viral for you and that whole you know age Mm. you know like we think about age we have to have completed something by a certain age and Mm -hmm. that was another story that went viral for you because it resonated with other people's stories so much yeah what can you say to our listeners who are out here you know thinking that they might have missed that window you started your storytelling when you were young Mm -hmm. and here they are over 40 you know maybe you know over 50 and they think their story writing or storytelling should have happened earlier what would you say to them based on that story oh my gosh that that it couldn't be any less true the thing you're telling yourself that it's too late that you missed it that your time is up that you can't that you don't have that you ain't got none of that is true i mean if you wake up you can do it if you got breath and ability You could do it. I, I tweeted something the other day, like, I wish folks would stop rushing me in the middle age. I'm just now clearing up my acne and paying my student loans on time. That literally was the tweet. I'm like, stop trying to act like I am so past tense. Like, you you rushing me out. First of all, Gen X is very dope. Thank you. And so I demand my time. I'm just getting here. And I, I haven't even begun to touch the things that I'm capable of because struggle, 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 struggle. Single mom struggle, writer, freelance writer struggle, all the struggles. So you can, with the wisdom that you have now, or what you know now, that you've learned from previous jobs, if you want to make the, if you want to make writing a career, if you just want to be a hobbyist and do it on the side. If you want to do it part time, it doesn't matter. If you just want to write one thing and be done with the whole thing, you can. You can, and they're absolutely. And I mean, that goes for writing, but that goes for literally anything. Anything. Go on out and turn a cartwheel. Go, go learn. Go learn how to roller skate. I feel like we have so many people and so many platforms putting restriction on us by based on our age, and that was then. That was a previous generational thing. But now for us, because so many of us have been put on pause for reasons beyond our control, um, you could, I, I wish you would, I wish you would not do it because you think you're too old or because you missed your chance or your window of opportunity when there's all this opportunity out here for you to tell your story. We are so grateful that you dropped by and graced us here at the Righteous Ratchet and Real with your stories and how you have become a storyteller. We are so grateful for that. And so can you just let our listeners know how they can follow your work? And if you are working on any projects right now that you're really passionate about and you just want to share. Well, thank you. First of all, I appreciate y'all having me. I appreciate the invitation. And uh, I am on Twitter, not actively, but I do answer when people tweet. And so I am at The Girl Can Write. And on Facebook, I'm at The Write or Die Chick, which is the name of my editorial services agency. So naturally, my website is TheWriteOrDieChick.com. I'm writing a story about... um, a black woman that was in Jonestown. I've been researching this Jonestown story for a long time now. And so uh, I don't know what it is. Just uh, It's just so interesting that 
Jim Jones had all of this control over all these people. At the bottom, at the base of it all, I just am amazed um, for any cult, really, but but particularly for this cult. But it just was like an alignment of all these elements that work together to allow him to get control, mind control over so many people. Mm. So there was a particular Black woman. Her name is Christine Miller. And I've done extensive research on her. I am doing extensive research on her and her story, what led her there. And she was the woman, if you've ever heard the death tape, the tape before, the recording before everyone was either killed or passed away of their own volition, uh, she was the one who said, what about life? What about the children? What about, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could, and she offered suggestions and he she ultimately ended up getting shouted down by the 900 or so people around her who were ready to die. Mm -hmm. But um, it's just such an interesting story. So I'm working on that. And that is a, a work in progress. But it's something that I'm really excited about because I love a passion project. I love a project that you don't have to put, that you're not monetizing. You're just doing because you want to do it. I can't wait to read that. I'm from Oakland. That's where I am now. Hey, and hey. A lot of the folks who uh, were were died uh, or were killed are, you know, were from Oakland and are mm -hmm. actually buried at a cemetery probably a mile and a half from my house. Mm. So it's definitely an Oakland story. So I can't wait to read that. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. Never knew that. An Oakland story. See, I know it because as soon as anybody hears that my, you know, me and my family from Georgetown, Guyana, they go, oh, where? I'm like. It wasn't, it wasn't our people, all right? It wasn't our people. It, it was our country, but it wasn't our people. So it's good to even see that connection to Oakland. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Janelle, for joining us. Thank you for all of our listeners for joining us for another episode of the Righteous Ratchet and Real podcast. And we look forward to get putting out a new episode next week. And just go ahead and share this with somebody, share this episode with somebody so that they can reclaim their voices and start to tell their stories, even the ones from when they were in middle school and were bullied or picked on, mm -hmm. whatever it is, there's a story within you that you can find a space to tell it. All right, everybody. Bye. Bye.